0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of 2021. Before I start, I wanted to share something with you all. Now, lately, I've been seeing a lot of cyberbullying and people taking advantage of others or making them feel worse than they already do. Now, I'm all for fighting for human rights and educating, creating awareness and empowerment. But none of that happens when the rapport you are trying to build is done with violent and aggressive communication. We are all suffering in our own way. We have all had to adapt and change some faster than others. And for those who believe, they are on the right track. It is for you to guide, share, and elevate the human population or community around you, not to judge, point the finger, blame, and belittle. Now, on that note, I want to introduce our next guest, someone who works hard on bridging the inequality gap and fights hard for women empowerment. My guest, Dalal Mawad, is an award-winning journalist and a senior correspondent for the AP News Agency. Dalal, thank you for being with us today. And before we begin today's topic, I'd like you to take the chance to introduce yourself to our listeners.
1: Hi, Sophie. Um, very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So as you said, um, I'm a journalist. I work for the Associated Press. I'm a senior producer and correspondent. Um, I've worked in different fields in, in journalism. So I've done a bit of print, a bit of uh, broadcast. I was an on-air reporter for a local TV here. I've worked with the UN with their media and comms team, um, traveling the world, telling stories of refugees and displaced people. And I've been with the AP for the past uh, year and a half. I'm also uh, a feminist and as you said, um, an advocate of women's rights and girls rights. And I think it's uh, it's the environment that I grew up in. Uh, it's the country, uh, the region that has pushed me to become one. Uh, I think I've had to, you know, fight my own battles uh, to, to make it where I am um, today, and so I like to empower other women um, as well, um, so they can achieve whatever they want to achieve. And I'm a mom as well to um, a girl who's four. And I love having a girl because I think it's, um, you know, it's my own personal challenge when it comes to girls' rights and women's rights and uh, raising her and, you know, um, the, the right way or, you know, with, with everything that I uh, believe in. So, yeah, and I'm here. I'm, uh, I'm in Beirut, uh, outside Beirut, but I'm here in Lebanon.
0: Well, you're not going to be here for very long, though. You've been offered a really nice position, I believe, in France. Uh, you're taking your leave soon, aren't you? Uh,
1: yes. Not a position per se. I mean, I am moving with the the AP probably, but uh, I've been offered what is called in France a talent uh, visa. So uh, it will allow me to take my uh, my daughter and to move with my family. Uh, We will be moving to France uh, soon. um, And it allows me to work and to live there. And the reason why I'm leaving is because I feel like I owe it to her. And as you know, things have been quite dire in in Lebanon and I feel like I can no longer protect her. I think the blast of August 4th was really a turning point. I've always wanted to leave. I I was becoming cynical and really hopeless but it was um, really that day I said that's it. I I need to make sure she's safe. She deserves better.
0: It's now time to move on to our topic and it's a hot topic and it sparked some controversy over the last couple of years. It's the Qatar and the GCC. Oh, plus Egypt. (laughs) So Dalal, since you've been covering this relationship for many years, um, can you give us a little uh, brief history as to why these sanctions were laid on Qatar to begin with, and what is this new rekindling of relations, and how long do you think this will last?
1: Um, Yeah, so for those who don't know, um, there were four countries, um, uh, namely Bahrain, Saudi Arabia and the UAE plus Egypt, as you mentioned, who uh, decided in June of 2017 to start an embargo. We're talking here about an airspace, a maritime and uh, a land embargo on uh, Qatar, and uh, they accused Qatar of supporting terrorism, Um, and they had a list of demands uh, back then to lift uh, this, uh, this embargo. Uh, These demands included shutting down Al Jazeera, the uh, media network. Uh, It included uh, cutting ties with Iran, removing Turkey's military presence um, in in Qatar and other um, demands. And so basically um, in this group of four countries, you have mainly Saudi Arabia, who was worried about Qatar's growing relation with Iran, uh, Iran seen as Saudi's uh, regional uh, rival. Uh, for the UAE, it was more Qatar's support to uh, groups such as the Muslim uh, Brotherhood, mainly for Egypt and for um, the UAE. Uh, Qatar is seen as supporting political Islam, the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, uh, and in, in other countries. Um, and Bahrain was just like Saudi Arabia, more worried about uh, Iran, and so they started this uh, this embargo, uh, hoping that Qatar would uh, make concessions, would cut its ties with um, Iran and, and Turkey, um, and you know, to give in to these uh, demands. Three and a years, uh, more than three and a years, uh, three and a half years uh, now. Um, Qatar didn't really uh, give in and we know that it tried to uh, bypass this, uh, this embargo by uh, finding alternative routes uh, for supplies because it used to import about 60% from these uh, countries. and it started building stronger ties with Turkey and, and Iran. There's an interesting New York Times article recently that said it was paying Iran $100 million a year uh, to find you know, alternative routes uh, for its uh, airplanes. Uh, so it was costly, but it found a way uh, out. It was also uh, trying to build a stronger economic ties with Europe, for instance, with, uh, with Germany. Um, and it was also still relying on its uh, gas reserves. The, the third largest in, in the world, to keep its economy going, also working on, you know, uh, internal production, its own food security. And despite, you know, the the, the fact that this embargo was costly for its economy, it, its economy was still um, growing Um until, yeah, I was just
0: going to say to you. I mean, Qatar is quite an affluent country to begin with. I mean, having this embargo on it didn't necessarily um, have an effect like it did. It it will on Iran or Lebanon or Syria. You know,
1: these were not sanctions. It was more like an, an embargo, right, on your on your uh, um, as as we said the the the, the borders, etc. But they also cut all economic uh, relations with uh, with Qatar. And as I said, it. It was important because when you're importing 60% of your needs from these countries, all of a sudden, you know, your supply route is cut but what they did is they found these alternative uh, routes of, um, of supplies and they were importing mainly from Turkey and, and Iran, and um, actually they grew uh, closer to these um, two countries, and even Qatar's emir uh, Use this to gain popularity. Uh, the Qataris, when you talk to them, they would say this was a stab in the back, uh, you know, from these GCC uh, countries. Um, now, the timing now is interesting. So why after three and yeah, a half? Yeah, this is this years- is
0: why I just wanted I wanted to ask you one thing. Now, do you believe, or I, I know it's very hard uh, to, to take your opinion, and being a journalist, um, it's, we, t- we tend to like to, to give both sides of the story and remain unbiased, but um, I think it would be interesting to know, do you think that this was done to appease the U.S.? And if so, shouldn't this be something that propels the Arab world forward instead of it trying to pander to the West? Hmm.
1: I mean, it doesn't have to be necessarily an opinion. This is my analysis and a lot of people were saying this is, um, as I said, the timing is interesting because this is the end of the Trump's uh, administration. And there were ongoing negotiations, which Kuwait was mediating with the support of uh, of the US for a while, and there was no breakthrough. So why was there a recent breakthrough? And, you know, we are seeing an appeasement. We're not seeing a full reconciliation. Let's be clear here for those who, who don't know. So the, the, the land maritime um, and airspace embargo is, is gone and they are uh, restoring diplomatic relations, but we are far from a full reconciliation. So the analysis here is that, yeah, maybe uh Saudi Arabia specifically wanted to give Trump a last diplomatic uh, gift or uh, or reward at the same time um maybe um, Saudi Arabia wanted also to consolidate its front against um, Iran. And so it wanted to reunify its ranks and having Qatar among this this front to face uh, Iran was important. And it is worried because um, it does know that uh, Biden will have a harsher stance um, on Saudi Arabia. And he said that he was gonna go back to the negotiation table with Iran. And so um, really, Saudi maybe uh, wants to get ready for this new uh, administration. And I think Trump also leaving wants to see a united front facing Iran. I mean, you know, part of this maximum pressure policy that he's adopted uh, for, uh, for so long. So it's um, I think the timing is interesting. And Saudi Arabia was really in the lead, it really wanted to end this rift with, uh, with Qatar. And on the other hand, we we don't know what concessions uh, Qatar uh, has made to reach uh, this uh, this deal. I mean, it's really uh, unclear. Um, Qatar, as I said, has stronger relations with Iran and and Turkey uh, because of that um, embargo. Um, it there's nothing that says that Qatar has stopped supporting the Muslim Brotherhood, um, and the only concession that we know is that Qatar will no longer uh, pursue legally what is called the Quartet. It's going to, you know, drop, um, you know, this, the, the the legal um, course against them, but. Uh, but yeah, it's it's unclear what concessions Qatar um, has um, has made, but um, this reunification, if if we want to uh, to call it, you know, Qatar coming back to this uh, GCC. Uh, a block is uh, is seen as a step uh, forward for the US Trump administration, uh, for uh, Saudi and, and the UAE, and this is what we heard from um, leaders of, of these countries. But there's a lot of work that still needs to be done and I think that the largest rift or the deepest rift is still with the UAE. I, these are uh, countries that are really at sharp I- ideological odds um, they are uh, pitted against each other's and regional conflicts. Take Libya, for um, for example, and the UAE is really worried about you know Qatar's support to the Muslim um, uh, Brotherhood and you know other. Um, um, Political, you know, political Islam um, uh, groups. Qatar denies, you know, supporting uh, terrorist uh, groups such as uh, Al Qaeda or um, ISIS. Although there were accusations a- against it um, uh, for for that, uh, but the Muslim Brotherhood itself, you know, is uh, is considered as a terrorist organization by uh, some uh, some countries.
0: Um, I just want to I just want to ask you a quick question here now. Uh, What's what's interesting the most is that you're saying to me that the UAE is the one that seems to have a larger conflict or a larger rift or larger ideological... um, They can't seem to agree with Qatar. However, Saudi being this driving force and wanting to create this peace, and you did make a a point to say to me that this could be maybe a gift to Trump before he leaves. Now, Mm. my question to you is, one, uh, Saudi has done a lot of stuff in the last four years since Trump has been pres- uh, president. They've been given a lot of leeway. They've got away with assassinating um, a high-ranking journalist. Um, yeah. why, my first question is, could this be a way to cover all that up and say, look at us, we're, we're trying to do peace, we're, we're trying to move forward, we're trying to rekindle our Arab ties and uh, the UAE making peace with Israel is, is sort of this, this way of saying, you know, uh, arms up, we're not here to create more conflict. However, Qatar, on the other hand, making, uh, talking with Turkey, we saw Qatar uh, in Iran as soon as uh, Qasem Soleimani was, was, was assassinated as well. They were there two days later. So I, I, as a journalist and as a person and as a human being, uh, we should be talking. All of us talking to each other, anyway. We're in a region where, if we do not talk to each other, we have seen how quickly um, uh, embargoes are laid on, sanctions are laid on, and conflict uh, comes to comes to play. Now, do you do you find yourself um, as a journalist witnessing this, thinking this is uh, maybe a path to? Um, unification, to uh, tolerance, to be able to maybe sit at a drawing board and start to really map out and hash out how we want to move forward in the next couple of years, or do you think this is all um, a facade and something deeper is going on and uh, these ties could easily, easily be uh, um, severed within a matter of minutes?
1: I mean, if you ask me as as an Arab and an individual living in this region, I don't think anyone wants to see more conflicts, right? and And we, no one wants to see this rift on, ongoing. Uh, before I answer your second uh, suggestion, what I think is more realistic, because as I said, I think the path is still um, it's it's a long way to go. We're not even near full reconciliation. I think that S- Saudi Arabia and the other countries just realize that, you know, um, this, boycott largely failed to achieve its initial uh, objective, which was to put uh, pressure on, on Qatar to cut its ties with, with Iran and you know, the, the, the Muslim Brotherhood and um, support to, to, to these groups, um, which by the way, are seen as a domestic challenge for countries like Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Egypt, right? So they, they, they want to avoid other countries supporting uh, similar groups because this is a domestic uh, challenge. But I think uh, no, I, I I wouldn't call it a, a facade, and I don't think Saudi Arabia is trying to distract from what's what are other things it's it's doing in, in the region, whether it's you know uh, oppression or killing of journalists or its involvement with with the UAE and, and Yemen and other conflicts in in the region. I um, really think it's it's it, it wanted to end this rift because it makes more sense to have a united front against Iran, and this is what by, uh, this is what Trump um, uh, wanted uh, as well. Um, and they've realized that actually, you know, the, the this embargo was counterproductive. Uh, Qatar ended up becoming closer to uh, to Iran and um, and Turkey. But is it really uh, the beginning of, of the end of this rift? Maybe, but I think there's still a long way to go and there are no guarantees. And I think more problems are gonna emerge. And as I just mentioned, I mean, these countries are against each other, not not just when it comes to these issues, but as I mentioned, like in Libya, you know, the the Qatar and the UAE are supporting two rival um, uh, governments. Um, There might be economic interests uh, as well. Uh, For instance, you know, Um, Egypt is clearly interested in economic development and economic uh, ties Um, but it's still unclear I think it's just too soon this is my answer I think we need to wait and see uh, where this is going even the agreement uh, they reached uh, recently in in the summit last week Um, I mean we haven't seen the the full uh, declaration the the content of it but it also sounds like uh, not much is, is has changed you don't see any clarity on a lot of issues it's just okay we're restoring diplomatic relations we're stopping the embargo we hurry together hugging and taking pictures but have we really resolved like the deep issues that have pitted us against each other i don't think so so and the, as i said even the leaders of these countries the uae and, and saudi have said that you know, there's a long way to go. And I think um, the, the people also, like the Qataris, I don't think they're gonna easily forget what, what happened. As I said, uh, they considered this as a stab in in the back, how like overnight, you know, they were put under this um, embargo. And it's why probably the popularity of the Emir rose because he was really able to manage this, this crisis rather successfully. Um, and I don't know if you remember the pictures of people rushing to grocery shops and supermarkets. My my brother, really-
0: my brother lived in Doha actually uh, when this happened, and uh, he was actually taking pictures of um, the supermarkets. And or nearly most of the products, or nearly all of the products, were from Turkey. So uh, I am.
1: What kind? And you know, Anwar Gargash, uh, the, the the minister of foreign affairs, said we have a lot of work to do. We still have a lot of work um, to do. Everyone is aware that this is just a positive step forward, but uh, they're nowhere near a full reconciliation, that's for sure.
0: And and, uh, the thing is, the reason why I'm focusing on being a facade is because as you said, I mean, even in a relationship between you and your husband or between you and your boyfriend, you can't just say, yes, no, we don't want to fight anymore. You know, we're just going to go on pause. Um, when you have issues that you need to talk about or you need to bring up or you need to, to, to heal from, you know, that's why we have therapies. So uh, what, like, what kind of therapy can we do here? Well, I, I just, with, with Iran coming into play and Turkey coming into play, Turkey seems to be rogue anyway, it doing whatever it wants, whenever it wants, however it wants to do it. It's got no form of guidance. Um, it, it doesn't listen to anybody. Uh, it, it's 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 so interesting to understand is what kind of international role does Qatar want to play by associating itself with? Countries that are completely rogue and don't necessarily want to sit at a table and find any form of reconciliation and peace and to heal the deepest seeded issues that are actually causing these conflicts and 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 directly affecting uh, humans, their population, and inequality.
1: Yeah, but Sophie, I mean, I'm not here sure to take sides, but I think Qatar has its own narrative, and that's not how they see their. Uh, you know international relations and their relationship with Turkey, or their support to the Muslim Brotherhood, or you know um, they at, at some point in their interferences in the region we're saying we are supporting you know the oppressed uh, people, we are uh, helping people reach you know the, the, their rights and you know their their full civil and political rights. Here I'm talking about you know Egypt and, and in Syria and. the the, the rift started when, you know, all these with with the Arab Spring also and and Qatar's uh, interference in in the Arab Spring and Saudi also. And I remember Syria because I covered that. Who is taking the lead? Is it Saudi? Is it it Qatar? Who is doing what? And, you know, there was a conflict um, there. And um, I mean, I can't, I don't have any evidence of Qatar supporting um, Extremist groups, but there were uh, allegations, and it, it had its uh, it has its own um, agenda. But it was clearly trying to position itself as a leader in um, in the region. Uh, at times, looking like a rival to Saudi Arabia. Today, you you have the UAE also taking you know that uh, that seat in in the region. It's no longer just Saudi, Qatar, and the UAE is involved politically also in various conflicts and um in the region so it's i mean you have two different uh, narratives and the way they the qataris look at this is that this embargo was, was unfair we we don't support a terrorism we have our reasons for you know maybe supporting the muslim uh, brotherhood um and for maintaining relations with with turkey turkey has a military presence in, in qatar and economic relations uh, same with um, uh, with Iran, and they were Qatar's saviors during the embargo, so I think it's going to be very difficult for Qatar to uh, just cut these ties with uh, these uh, these two countries. Uh, but certainly, I mean, what the, what the Saudis are trying to do and the Trump administration was trying to do is to bring all these Sunni countries against this Shia arrival, you know, now that, you know, you've had this conflict for, for a while in the region.
0: Do you think uh, that when Biden comes into play, because we have mentioned it and you've mentioned it yourself, you know that it's he's going to want to bring Iran back to the drawing board. He is going to try to approach Iran, you know, back mm-hmm. in the way that Obama did, in order to try to create some form of global peace, in order for for all of us to sort of live and understand where we are and how we're going about our life. Now, I live in this region. It's always been a volatile region. I was born and raised in Dubai. I've lived in Riyadh. I've lived in Jeddah. Um, Um, I I know the GCC more than I know the Levant, and I'm half Lebanese. Uh, So I think what is interesting to me is, do you think that Qatar can now maybe come out as a player that maybe mediates between the West and Iran and Turkey? Maybe that could be a role that it could find itself playing?
1: Qatar Qatar is... uh, So just to answer your first question, I do think Biden will have a different uh, policy, and this is why I think the Saudis were in a rush to... Really consolidate their position and maybe try to, you know, have a, be on good terms also with the Biden ad- administration by having this uh, unified front because they're worried he's going to have a harsher st- stance towards Saudi. As you said, um, Trump ha- had a different attitude with Saudi Arabia, and uh, you know it was just a free card on on so many um, issues. Um, and I think Biden has expressed various sense that he will sit on the negotiation table again with Iran and we expect this uh, uh, to, uh, to happen. Um, now, I think on your uh, second question, whether Qatar is, is going to be a player or a mediator, I think Qatar is already a player and a mediator. Uh, Qatar has been uh, a very important mediator when it comes to the conflict in Afghanistan and the talks between the Afghans and, and the Taliban. Um, and this is, you know, dates back years ago when I was working at Al Jazeera and I was in Doha and I covered, you know, various of these meetings. Um, uh, Qatar has tried to play a mediation role in in Syria as well, although it was uh, um, involved, it it is a regional player and an important one, and it has uh, good ties with the US, by the way, even with the Trump administration, although Trump at the beginning was siding with Saudi and the the Quartet, but then I think um, he kind of shifted and uh, there are good ties between Qatar and, and the U.S. and yes, Qatar can play that role. Qatar plays a mediation role in Lebanon um, as well, uh, has played um, uh, that role. Um, and I think Qatar wants to portray a positive image uh, on the international scene and I think Al Jazeera is one of those uh, tools, uh, by the way, it's a soft power tool. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a player and could be a, a bigger player. And I, I don't think anyone wants to see that drift ongoing. It's in no one's interest, whether the Quartet or Qatar's um, interest. And as I said, it remains to be seen where this is going, whether we're going to go towards a full reconciliation uh, and we're going to have answers as, you know, on, on many of these deep issues that have created problems between these countries, or more problems are going to appear. And this is, as you said, might be a facade, and it's, uh, it was just the timing was interesting. The Saudis were trying to um, gain something. The Americans were trying to gain something. Qatar had nothing to lose, and so this will not go anywhere. But I, I can't answer that. I don't know.
0: Dalal, it's been uh, absolutely wonderful having this discussion with you. I I think, as you said, there's so many questions left unanswered and uh, only time will tell how this is going to play itself out, especially now with um, the Houthis being designated as a terrorist organization yeah. by the United States. So there are so many things developing so fast, so quickly. And uh, it's so sad to, to, see, to see you leave to Paris. So you know, you're going to be watching us from abroad instead of telling us from the inside. So I'm definitely going to have to hit you back up to see what it looks like from over there.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I'm looking forward to not covering the Middle East uh, anymore, to be honest. I think I need a break to change my beat, you know, try to uh, deepen my knowledge maybe of Europe or other topics and, and stories. I'm looking at this as, as a challenge, as, uh, you know, something uh, different. Um, I mean, I've enjoyed covering and reporting this region but it's just it's endless conflicts really it's uh, it's tiring it can drain you
0: I totally understand I I mean look at the bags under my eyes I try to I try to cover them up but I don't think I've got rid of them successfully (laughs) (laughs) so Dalal I'm gonna let you go Uh, I know how uh, busy you are I just wanted to say to our listeners again um, you can find her on Instagram and definitely very active on Twitter Dalal Moad. Um, that's M-A-W-A-D just so you don't spell it any differently and for everybody listening if you've enjoyed what you've heard we are a crowdfunded organization free of editorial, free of limitations and we want to remain that way so we require funding if you want to make a one-time donation or you'd like to be a member you can find all the information on levantx.com now we want to give one more thank you to Dalal and Dalal I want to ask you one last thing because I always leave my podcast um, with my guests and the listeners. You have their attention. Is there anything that you would like to leave with them today?
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I know this past year has been really um, difficult on, on everyone, especially the, the Lebanese. So um, um, just want to say that I do hope the next year. Uh, will just be easier and um, we get out of this myriad of crisis that we've been struggling with. Um, I hate to say that I'm very skeptical about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but I do hope I'm wrong. Um, Nothing, just want to say that I just hope for better days because this is still January and there's a long uh, year ahead of us. And it feels like it's the fifth quarter of 2020 so far. (laughs) It doesn't feel like it's a new year. (laughs) <laughs> um, nothing yeah just wishing for better days because I know the Lebanese have been through a lot and I'm maybe privileged to be able to leave and some people want to leave but cannot and I um, just want to send strength and love to all those who have chosen to say I know this is very brave of them and I admire them I've tried for so many years and I think I'm uh, ready for a break <laughs> um, yeah that's it and thank you for tuning in and it was a pleasure
0: Dalal, thank you so much and uh, everybody.